invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 103 as we consider that passage this morning. While you're turning there, I want to touch on two things that were not in the bulletin, but are, are very important, I think, in the life of the church. First one might get me in some trouble with two people, but most of you will appreciate it, so I'll take that risk. Uh, but I want to give particular attention and thanks to uh, Brad and Jennifer Allen for everything they do, not just for giving us Madison, that was a part of it too, but um, they do so much behind the scenes here, and people do not know. Uh, the cool thing that was na- that's parked over where the vans usually are this morning, it's because they brought that in here, dealt with the lights and everything else this weekend, put the chairs back the way they were supposed to be after the cleaning crew. Uh, I, the, the number of things that they do um, are, are tremendous, and while they don't want any attention, they deserve our appreciation, and so I want to make sure you're aware. I assume that's for you, either that or it's for me for acknowledging that you should get that. Anyway, um, I'll take it. But, um, and the other is something that went out by email, uh, secretly somewhat, it's not in the bulletin and didn't go out in the regular courses, but uh, with uh, Charlie and Rachel Bartome having moving to town, Charlie here and just left for RYM this morning, and Rachel coming out this week, we thought that it would be good to give them an old-fashioned southern pounding. In other words, to, it wouldn't be the old-fashioned way, because that used to mean a pound of this, that, and everything else, and you know, it doesn't work that way. But a list is going out um, that uh, Lee and Day has put together, and basically we just want to uh, fill their pantry and other things and welcome them to town. Uh, and so if you are willing to participate in that or able to, um, you can bring the stuff here to the church uh, this week or contact uh, Lee and, and uh, let her know what you're able to do. We were going to let... Um, uh, Rachel know when she comes in this week, which will be before Charlie gets back, because otherwise she might go shopping. Um, and, uh, but just a, as, a, as a way of welcoming them, so we want to make sure you are aware that there's that opportunity. Um, so contact Leon, or you can ask Kathy, and she can send you the link to that list so that uh, we can do this uh, subtle welcoming to town as they begin their ministry among us. Now, this morning our purpose as uh, we gather is to worship God. And part of our worshiping of God is to listening for his voice to speak to us as he promises to do through his word. This morning we want to hear what he has to say to us through his servant David, the king, who is also a prolific writer of songs, psalms. And this morning in particular we look at Psalm 103. So if you'll open your Bibles and turn there, let's hear the word of God together. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives your iniquities and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And in its place, its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do come to you at this time, and not only do we offer praises that we sing to you and prayers that acknowledge our need for you, we give our ears and our minds and pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us and shape us by your word in accordance with your promise. This we pray in the name of the word who was incarnated, Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. If you've been around Grace Covenant for any length of time, there is a, a phrase that you have no doubt heard. And that phrase is gospel-centered. That may be a phrase that was new to you when you came here. It may be something that you have known for some time. It may be the reason that you settled here because you recognize that phrase and you recognize the value of it. But we declare gospel-centeredness as a way of expressing and reminding ourselves that the central message of the Bible and the central message of Christianity is what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ and particularly what he accomplished for us on the cross. As important as all of the teachings of Jesus are, they are nothing compared with the fact that he has given himself for us. And so the power that we are given to live in Christ and to live as Christians comes by being centered on the message and the power of the gospel. But because we are committed to being gospel-centered, there's another phrase that you may have heard around here as well. It's probably not quite as common comes out probably more in our counseling or one-on-one -on -one conversations and occasionally will make its way uh, in others. But because we are gospel-centered, you're also likely to hear the phrase applying the gospel. See, we believe that the gospel is not just facts that we need to understand, but that the gospel message is the power of life for everyone who is believing. And that that gospel message applies to every circumstance, every situation that every person, any of us, will ever find ourselves in. And so we are committed to helping people grow spiritually by helping each other to grow in our ability and being able to apply the message of the gospel to whatever our circumstances are. But when you hear the phrase applying the gospel, it may not come exactly that way. When we, when we use that phrase, it usually will come in the form of a, of a question. And so you might hear it phrase something like this. How do you apply the gospel to that situation? Or how do you apply the gospel to this? And some of you might have heard that uh, said that uh, it's something that we, we do commonly say. It just doesn't necessarily ring quite as startling as the idea of being gospel-centered. And yet as common as those are and as important of, of a question, important as those phrases are, particularly when it comes to the idea of applying the gospel to ourselves, 
we probably should also admit this, is that while the concept is not only intriguing and appealing and important, it's also far more difficult sometimes to do than we might make it seem by being so flippant and free with the idea of talking about applying the gospel. I was reminded of this recently when I was speaking with a friend and he was talking about a conversation that he had had with a, another friend, um, mutual friend, he knows the other guy a little better than I do, but was somewhat humorous, but at the same time, it, it also was quite convicting. Uh, my friend that I was talking with had just had a conversation with another guy and apparently not long ago, the other guy had taken his wife out for a date night. And as they were driving to the restaurant, apparently his wife had just had one of those weeks where it was incredibly frustrating and packed and just one of those beat down kind of weeks. And so while they were driving to the restaurant, she was just venting and spewing every frustration she had had during her week. And I guess she must have paused to take a breath at some point because I'm told that our friend who, the husband, kind of interrupted that and said, honey, so how does the gospel apply to this? <laughs> and she just let him have it. <laughs> and I think he learned a couple of lessons there that I can learn vicariously. Number one, and perhaps the most important thing, particularly for men to hear today, no matter what else you hear, is guys, never, never, never interrupt your wives while they are venting. I'm sure our friend has learned that and will be a wiser man from these days out. But I think it also tells us this, is that in the midst of our difficulties, the last thing any of us ever wants to hear is some hyper-spiritual question that feels more like an academic exercise than it does anything that's going to be beneficial. And while the question of how does the gospel apply to this is essential, it is quite evident that we don't always know, and we don't always necessarily apply it correctly. All we know is that we don't want to be asked, how does the gospel apply to this? What we want is for the gospel to apply to this. We want the good news, we want the help, and we want the assurance that God is at work in this and that God will be working in us. And so my friend that was telling the story said that when his, our other friend had relayed this to him, the friend I was talking with said that he had asked our mutual friend, so that's how she responded, so how does the gospel apply to this? <laughs> to which he admitted, I don't know. And I don't know how it applied in her situation. I really was asking um, from, the, from the very get-go. But I think it illustrates to us that while it's an important question, and it's vital that we grow in our ability to apply the gospel to our lives. It's one thing to say it. It's much more difficult for us to be able to do that. We don't always know how. And for that reason, I appreciate the Psalms. That and many, many reasons that I appreciate the Psalms. The Psalms are very real and very raw. People are expressing. Some Bible scholars have referred to the Psalms as being a, like a case book for counseling. 
not a, not a textbook, a how-to, as if it tells us how to do everything in every situation, but it's like a, a case book because in the Psalms, many of them are writers who have experienced different things in their lives, hardships or joy, and they are expressing themselves both in giving us the details of their experience and then how they are perceiving it, in some cases how they are responding to it, and, and how they are feeling about the circumstances. And so it enables us to peek through a window into the heart of these people of God that have gone before us and to consider a variety of circumstances, all of which we will experience, maybe not exactly in terms of the situations, but things in our lives that bring about the same kinds of feelings or responses uh, that we experience day in and day out. And Psalm 103 that we're looking at this morning is also one that I appreciate for that reason in particular because Psalm 103 shows us how we are able to apply the gospel, how to, how to handle any of life's challenges. Because what we see in Psalm 103 is that it reveals to us all the conditions of the heart and all the challenges and it reminds us or tells us that we are able to deal with all of them by reminding ourselves of God's benefits. And so as we look at this passage this, this morning, I want to do so looking at asking three questions. Why are we to remember? What are we to remember? And how are we to remember? Why are we to remember? What are we to remember? How are we to remember? We'll begin with the first one is, why are we to remember? And the simple answer is because we are so prone to forget. Look at what David says at the very beginning of this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, it's a pretty familiar verse. It's incorporated into many songs. We began uh, our, our part of our worship this morning using uh, this, these words. Uh, it, it's a beautiful way to approach God. And we see from this uh, what we know to be true of David as one who loves God, who wants to honor God, and who wants to worship God. And then in verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now, let me ask a question. When you read this, who is it that you think David is writing to? That's very common for us because God has given us his word because he wants to speak to us through those who have written it. To think that the writers are doing like we do and writing for those who are going to read. But the reality is, in many of the Psalms, and in this Psalm in particular, David is writing not for the audience that may hear it later, and certainly he understood some would because this is a song that would have been used in worship later on. But David is writing first and foremost, and primarily for himself. He's speaking to himself. We get the evidence of that in the words that he uses as he begins the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so when he says, forget not God's benefits or remember his benefits, he's reminding himself of the need to remember. And we can only assume it's because David, who is like us, has this tendency to forget. And from that, we are reminded of an important truth that we need to embrace 
or some of us need to be comforted by, that even someone who is, loves the Lord like David does, one who God declares to be a man after his own heart, has a tendency to forget God's benefits. We would say that there's a difference between David's confessional theology and his functional theology. And what I mean by that is the truth that he knows about God. He lists here that if you were to ask him, you know, catechism questions, he'd be able to spit it all out. He knows these things are true. And yet in his day-to-day life, because of the challenges, because of the circumstances, because of the nature of him, his own nature, he doesn't function as if those are the primary truth. He functions according to his own instinct or whatever is coming to his mind. And I think that's something that pretty much all of us can relate to because that's the tendency that we all have. But it also reveals something else that's important for us to remember. It's true of David and it's true of everybody, is that there is something that is causing a malfunction in our hearts that causes us to forget the benefits of God and then therefore experience consequences because of the decisions we make, not based on the wisdom of God, but based on whatever our instinct, whatever it is that we are feeling. A few months ago, I was given a notice on my cell phone. It was time to do the update or whatever for the, uh, on the phone, and so uh, I clicked it, and it did the update, upgrade, and then a day or so later, I, I, the phone began acting quite erratically. I was writing an email, and the phone decided to continue the email for me. Not in those helpful words that they suggest, and not even in an autocorrect. It just went nuts, and it was coming up with letters and words and all sorts of things, and there was no way I could try to back I couldn't backtrack. And then as I was trying to correct it, next thing you know, it's pulling up other programs. Not I was pulling up other programs. Other programs that are on there, other apps, all just started opening up. It was just crazy. And the only way that I was able to stop it is by shutting it down. I went online and tried to find out what the problem was and found out that the upgrade, that was a common problem for many of the people who had upgraded to this particular uh, system, which I didn't particularly appreciate. And subsequent upgrades have not fixed it. And the other thing that was ironic is that that they made it impossible once you had upgraded. In this case, they thought they would do something new. You weren't able to go back to your previous program. They eliminated that possibility. So now my phone just does all sorts of things randomly at times, not all the time, not every day, but it does random. If you get an email from me and it's questionable, let me know, because I've been worried about that, because I didn't know who I'm sending emails to. I'm not even writing these emails and they're going off, so. And that's not just to give me cover, that's just whatever. But what's happening in my phone is also what happens in my heart and happens in all of our hearts at certain times. For various reasons, perhaps not even conscious or unknown to us, things are coming up Things are getting work that really have no business. That's not what we want, but these things, they begin, these thoughts begin to occupy our minds. Because our minds have a malfunction. The Bible calls sin. And when sin pops up and sin is there, it's like an infection. It it comes up and shows itself at 
inopportune times and then causes us to do things that we say, why in the world is this happening? Why did I do this? Now, the idea of sin is difficult for a lot of people to swallow, whether somebody is a skeptic, this you know, whole thing just sounds like an excuse for poor behavior, or whether you are a Christian who just thinks that, you know, now that I'm a Christian, that's in my, my past, and sin is just something that we're supposed to avoid, and that's, you know, we, we have degenerated the whole concept of sin into being that standard between good people and bad people. And as a result, we don't deal with what it really is and what it therefore really does. But sin is a condition that is in all man. We've all, ever since our first parents pressed that upgrade bottle, you know, they thought God says this, I think this, I'm gonna upgrade to my own wisdom. We all have been infected with this. And it affects the way we see the world. It affects the way we react. It affects the way that we think. And it brings to mind at times things that are not helpful. In particular, it forgets often the reality of the truth of the gospel, which is the basis in which we live. And it clings to things that are not really true. In some cases, lies. And it infects the way we think. Even if you're skeptical of that whole concept, I, I want you to think about it in this way. Just think about the way that you react, that your own heart and your own mind reacts in, in various circumstances. You receive a compliment. You receive compliments after compliments. You receive compliment after compliment after compliment. And then somebody criticizes you in an area of sensitivity in your life. What does your mind, what does your heart gravitate to? All the compliments or the one criticism? See, because of sin in our lives, we cling to that criticism. Maybe not all criticisms, but those ones that are particularly sensitive to us. The ones that we think, maybe it is true. And if it's true, then that'll be my undoing. It may destroy me. And then we obsess and we focus on those criticisms. A study done by Harvard Business Review says that we need five compliments for every criticism just to break even. Another study done by uh, the University of Michigan School of Business says we need six compliments for every criticism just to break even. And it just makes no sense because in if objective reality, if it was just data, somebody says something good, somebody says something bad, shouldn't they equal themselves? But we are live in such a way that we need the reaffirmation after reaffirmation, re after reaffirmation in order to overcome just the, these thoughts, these negative things, whether they're true or whether they're not true, because our minds and our hearts cling to those lies that would undo us rather than clinging to the truths of what God has declared about us. And when that's happening, we have this tendency to 
forget the very things that God has said about us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the minister from Westminster Chapel of a good portion of the 20th century, he asked this question, it makes a charge and challenge to us in the form of a question, don't you realize that most of your problems in this life is because you're spending too much time listening to yourself and not enough time talking to yourself? What he means by that is that we cling to these ideas, these half-truths, these lies, these fears that speak to us and they occupy our minds and our attention and even affect our affections and it drives out our remembering the benefits of God, the truths of what God has said. And so the reason that we must remember, why must we remember? Because we're so prone to forget and when we forget, we tend to forget the benefits of God. We act according to our feeling, our instinct, our fears, often to unhealthy, maybe even devastatingly bad consequences. And David here is opening up and saying, we need to remember the benefits of God. Now, so what are the things that we are to remember? The obvious answer is the benefits of God. That's what he's talking about here. And then David spends verses 3 through 19 listing a number of benefits and then clearly contemplating. And they are worth going through and thinking about. I'm going to highlight just three of them this morning. Just touch on them just so that we understand. If you look at verse 11, we see this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David's reminding us of this. How high is, are the heavens above the earth? We don't really know. We're not told exactly where the heavens are. There's a story in the book of Genesis that kind of gives us a, a picture that will help us to understand. It's the story in, in Genesis uh, chapter 11, Tower of, of Babel, where man in their own confidence and arrogance decided they were going to build a, a tower to the heavens, something to make a name for themselves. And so this was the, the great achievement of humanity. This was an incredible architectural feat. And people were patting each other on the back, and they were really proud about that. And they were significant. They gained their identity and significance because of this thing, this tower they said that was going up to the heavens. And then what Moses writes as a response to, to show us God's response to this magnificent feat is that God who was in the heavens had to come down to earth even to see it. Now, it's not an indication that God doesn't know what's going on. It's a play on words and saying that which seems so big a deal to man, thinking, you know, wow, they can see this in heaven. God has to come in and look really, really closely just to be able to see it. It just says, look, it's insignificant. That's how far the heavens and earth are. And the reason that that is significant, because that gives us some idea, some mental picture of how great is the love that he has for you who are his. That's called a benefit that David is talking about, that we have that, that relationship with God, and we have the benefit of God steadfast love. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. How far is east from the west? Now, our planet is a circle. 
So theoretically, if one of you started heading east and one of you started heading west, you would meet up at some point. But even when you cross paths, that doesn't mean the guy who was once heading east is now heading west, and the other guy who was heading west is now heading east, because east and west are designs that go in opposite directions and really never should meet. Had the passage said, how far is the north from the south? Well, we can measure that, because there's poles, the north pole, south pole, we can measure that. So, but this is east from the west, and the indication here that David is reminding us is what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross, the message of the gospel is that he has taken your sins and it's not like he sets them over next to you. He has separated them from you as far as the east is from the west. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you need to be comforted by this because of your past. That's how far your past, your failures are for as far God's perspective from you, wherever east and west go. Infinite distance. God is not holding your failures against you. And now in verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And I'm convinced that of all the benefits that we read here, this is perhaps the most foundational. Is that those who belong to the Lord relate to God on the basis of him being our father, who is committed to loving you, to leading you, to providing for you, protecting you. It's the nature of the relationship that we have with God. And he's saying the benefit we have is that we can trust, we can rest in him. All of these other benefits, they're all related. But when we understand how we connect with God and we see these benefits that are coming from our Father, it shapes every single thing that we understand. And Psalm 103 reminds us that that relationship that we have as God as Father is also rooted in grace. Not achievement, not performance. Look at verses 13 and 14 again. As the Father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. It's not that he said, wow, I need that one in my family. Verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. In other words, we, if you look at the verses before, we're told, you know, we might be here for a little while. You know, we're insignificant. We will be forgotten by the earth, by the world. But God's love for us is from everlasting, however far past it is, could possibly be, to ever far forward. His love endures forever. And not only is it for you, but he demonstrates his love for you in the fact that in nature, we call it a covenant, that he promises to bring blessing to the children of those who are his children. And part of that blessing is bringing them to faith in Christ. And so we, we see that it's grace. Back up into verse 8, we, we see this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. See, it's all about God's grace that we are relating to him, not anything that we have done. But in his grace, he has chosen a people. He has redeemed a people. He has adopted a people to be his children. And just to make sure that it isn't just by legal that adopting, the scriptures keep talking about those who belong to him, he regenerates or he brings a new birth, a second birth. And so the children of God are both by legal adoption and by spiritual birth, a second birth. It's like if you give birth to your child, then you go to the court and say, I'm going to file, I'm going to adopt my own child. That's what God has done for us. 
It's his love that is rooted in his grace. Doesn't God ever get angry? Of course he does. He gets angry with his children when they do foolish things because it's not the way it ought to be. It's an expression of his love. When Rebecca, I think it was five or six, we took the training wheels off of her bike and we lived in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's in a hill. If you don't have a house built in a hill, it, you must have paid a fortune for it because there is no flat ground. And so she jumped on the bike, rode down the hill of our driveway, out into the middle of the street, fearless, foolish, fearless. Our street wasn't a highway, but it was fairly, you know, it was on the way into the, we were front end of the neighborhood, so anybody coming in, it was pretty common to have cars going in there. And we were ticked because we loved her, and that was foolish, and she didn't ride for a while. If we didn't love her, we wouldn't have cared. I'd have just said to Carolyn, look, we're young, we can make another. I mean, so that's... <laughs> Anger is expression of love. And this is the nature of the relationship that we have with our God. And Psalm 103 reminds us that God does not deal with us according to anger, but according to his love. And they just list benefit after benefit after benefit. And I'm going to go quickly here because I know I'm over time. But we need to ask the third question. How do we remember? How must we remember? And what I want you to have in your mind is this image Maybe some of you are campers, and you go out and you set up your tent. And I want you to have in the image of a stake being driven deep into the ground. Because that's what, how we are to remember. It's what David is doing here in this particular song. And he's doing it for himself, and he's doing it for the benefit of others who are around him. So here, here's my concern for us as the pastor of this church and, and as even for my own life is that many of us know the benefits of God. We can list these. Or when we read this list here, there's not anything shocking to us. We've read it before. We've heard it before. We, we know the, the benefits of God. And yet these benefits are not shaping our hearts. We're not consistently directing the way that we respond to our circumstances. We're not being renewed in these truths. There is a disconnect between our head and our heart, and that disconnect is leading us who merely are contented with knowing to still navigate this world on the basis of how we feel, our instinctive response to whatever the circumstances are around us. David here, if we step back and look at what he's doing, gives us an entirely different paradigm. What David is doing as he's listing these, as he is driving each of these benefits into his heart. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Let all that is within me praise his holy name. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not his benefits. And then benefit after benefit after benefit, he's thinking, he's meditating, and each one he's driving, he's reminding himself this is true, this is more true than my circumstance, I live in the reality of this truth, well, he's doing what we call preaching the gospel to himself because each of these benefits is a reflection of the gospel that is ours, it's the consequence of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ 
And so each of these benefits are not the gospel themselves, but they are the truths that are consequence of the gospel. They are what's true of you. They are true with me. They are true of everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ. And he's, each one, he's driving, driving, driving deep into his heart so that these things treasured in his heart will affect how he responds because it will affect how he feels whenever he is facing any particular circumstance. And we see some brilliant, important things here. Again, just touching on a couple of things. If you're somebody who struggles with shame, look at verse 3. He forgives all of your iniquities. If you're feeling broken, whether it's physical brokenness or just kind of your life's not working the way that it ought to, second part of verse 3, he heals all of your diseases. If you're somebody who's afraid, afraid of life, afraid of death, afraid of what happens, verse 4, he redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Are you somebody that's struggling with discontentment? Life's just not what it ought to be. It doesn't seem to have any purpose. Verse 5, he satisfies you with good and he renews your youth like the eagle. Now, he's not going to make you young again. I've tried that one. He will renew your energy and your passion. It goes away at times. But each one of these things speaks to circumstances or how we feel because of circumstances in our life. And David is driving them deep into our hearts and we need to see from his pattern, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves God's benefits, remembering his benefits, and in doing so, drive them in. Don't just list them off. Drive them in. But David is doing something else that we also need to embrace because God has created us to live in community. And while David is writing these things to speak to himself, he also is writing a psalm. He knows he's writing a psalm. He knows other people are going to be reading this. Whether he was conscious that we would be doing so 3,000 years later, that I don't know. But he at least knew the people that he was living with, the people that he was around with, and probably for subsequent generations, they would have this psalm and they would be reminded not only of the benefits of God, but their need to remember the benefits of God. And so what we take from that is this. We need to not only be driving them deep into our own hearts by preaching them to ourselves, we need to be reminding each other of the benefits of God. We ask one another the question, how does the gospel apply to this? But we encourage one another when we are able to remind each other of the benefits of God. We proclaim the gospel not just as a plan of salvation, but as a way of stabilizing, strengthening, empowering one another in God's grace, in God's love. Why must we remember? Because we're prone to forget. What must we remember? The benefits of God, particularly that he is our father and every other benefit comes from the benevolence of a loving father. How must we remember? We drive them deep by reminding ourselves and each other of God's benefit. Because the benefit of God, benefits of God belong to all who repent of forgetting and who trust in the one who was at one time on the cross forgotten because God remembers you always. Father, may we hear your word and be reminded and encouraged and empowered May you, by your spirit, continually bring to mind the benefits that we may praise you. All glory be to you, our Father, here on earth and in the heavens, for you are worthy of all praise. Amen.